Welcome to Classically Current, where we review current films and old films and link them together. With your host, Zach and Kyle. Welcome back once again. We are excited for our episode today as we're going to talk about planes, trains, and automobiles, which is a Thanksgiving favorite around Kyle's house. I mean, Kyle's seen this several times. I recently discovered this last year and watched a TV version of this film and finally actually watched the film version that wasn't made for TV this time. And uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit, and so much so that we wanted to do an episode about it. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the uh, the other version wouldn't have been much different. It was only like two scenes where it's really going to change that TV version to being like the actual R-rated explicit version. Yeah, because there's uh, one scene in particular where you have a you have Steve Martin in front of a counter at the air airlines with uh, one of the attendants and he goes off and uses the <laughs> bomb a lot i mean yes. this is like this is like the king's speech worth of f-bombs if anyone's seen the king's speech you know what i'm talking about there's a scene in that <laughs> film where he just goes off and that's what he does in this uh, film and so i th- i think in the tv version they just you know they use those phony cuss words that oh, they yeah. make people have on on the tv version so that was kind of funny to see on the tv version itself i always laugh at at tv versions when they have all these fake uh, you know veggie swears that they have oh yeah but uh, it's movie right is freaking a... now <laughs> yes and it always sounds so fake and phony but that's mainly why it's rated r there's maybe another scene or two that I guess you could say it's rated R as well, but we're excited to get into this one. It's been out for quite some time. It came out in 1987, November 25th, so right around Thanksgiving, and uh, it takes place right before Thanksgiving, two days before Thanksgiving to be exact. And uh, you know, me and Kyle have been a little bit of a hi- on a little bit of a hiatus the past week or so. We didn't get a chance to do an episode last week because we're preparing for this Thanksgiving special. Uh, Most of my family has gotten COVID. I myself have gotten COVID. Kyle has stayed squeaky clean throughout all this. So uh, I don't know what you're doing, Kyle, but I guess... I have the immune system of a bull, of an ox. (laughs) Nothing can penetrate it. (laughs) I mean, apparently so. Uh, I mean, my parents, uh, my cousins... um, I mean, it's just been going around my family like crazy. Uh, my grandpa, my grandma, uh, and it's just been wild. But, you know, I'm on the mend. I'm doing okay. I didn't really have too many main issues. Zach, no, symptoms, one was, so. no one was really asking how you were doing. I think we all just know you're fine. Okay. So. Hey, everybody wants to know <laughs> how I'm doing and what the deal oh, yeah, is. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing And why we haven't glad, been able to record as, well, as, much as, as much as we want to. But we're gonna to try to get on back on. We're trying to get back on track with planes, trains, and automobiles, and some other subsequent episodes, as well as some Christmas specials that we're gonna that we have planned down the line. Yep. So got a lot of ideas. With, we're trying to piece them all together how we want to do it. That's right. But without further ado, let's get into planes, trains, and automobiles, and let the podcast begin. <laughs>
So Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a 1987 American comedy film that is written, produced, and directed by John Hughes. It stars Steve Martin as Neil Page, a high-strung marketing executive, and John Candy as Del Griffith, a good-hearted but annoying shower curtain ring salesman. They share a three-day odyssey of misadventures, trying to get Neil home from Chicago in time for Thanksgiving with his family. The film has received critical acclaim with many critics praising it for Hughes branching out from teen comedies, which is mainly what he was known for uh, prior to this movie. Yeah, so, and that's uh, it's interesting how this was just kind of a change of pace for John Hughes in the late 80s because the beginning of the 80s and in mid-80s he did a lot of teen comedies. Uh, John Hughes John Hughes is a very recognizable name, uh, and so for the director profile, a lot of people have probably heard of him. He's an American filmmaker, writer, director. He started out as an author for humorous eth- essays and stories for the National Lampoon. He went on to write and produce and sometimes direct some of the most successful live-action comedies of the 1980s and 1990s, such as National Lampoon's Vacation, which came out in 1983, and its sequels, so National Lampoon's European Vacation and Christmas Vacation. He also did Mr. Mom, which came out in 1983, 16 Candles in 1984, Weird Science from 1985, and The Breakfast Club as well in 1985. Also, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, 1986, Pretty in Pink, 1986, and then also Some Kind of Wonderful in 1987, and that brings us to plane, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Basically, he... Zach, Zach, if you haven't heard of John Hughes or he wasn't a part of your childhood growing up, you were robbed of a childhood. I mean, he yeah. was like, he had his like fingerprints on so many different films, especially, uh, you know, I think a Dennis the Menace or, um, you know, Planes, Trains, Automobiles is one, The Breakfast Club, 16 Candles, Christmas vacation like all those there's so many uh i mean home alone that was another one but home yeah, alone kind of uncle buck cardinal. which came out in 1989 buck, and home yes. alone in 1990 and he did the, i didn't realize this but he must have written home alone 2 and home alone 3 yeah i didn't know he actually did home alone 3 yeah that that's interesting i mean he he was just so prolific with his writing he could write things write film scripts in a weekend and he wanted he had so many projects that he was working on he couldn't direct them all so that's why he had directors take on some of his projects such as chris columbus for home alone and uh, he also had other films where he he just had directors fill in for him right which is which is smart on his part because he's working so much on the screenplays and and writing good screenplays that he has to have other people do some of the directing he's just that he just has that many ideas and we're, we're just touching the surface on some of them uh some of the ones that he's directed but he's also written quite a bit of other things as well i mean we kind of named him off already what he's been a part of but there's other other minor writing roles that he's had that he has done as well um, and of course most of hughes's work is set in the chicago metropolitan area and he is best known, which is where Planes, Trains, and Automobiles takes place. And he's uh, best known for his coming-of-age teen comedies, which often combined magic realism with honest depictions of suburban teenage life. And many of his most enduring characters from these years were written for Molly Ringwald, 
who was Hughes's muse. She was in quite a bit of his films. He also worked with Matthew Broderick and helped start his career, Anthony Michael Hall, and Macaulay Culkin, of course. But uh, it's just been an interesting look back at his career and all the, all the films he's been a part of and all the films he helped write and all the actors that he helped start their careers. I mean, you wouldn't have Matthew Broderick if you didn't have Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know? Oh, yeah. And you wouldn't yeah. have Macaulay Culkin. I mean, Macaulay Culkin hasn't done a whole lot since Home Alone, but, but that made his whole life, basically. Yeah, he really hasn't had to do much because he did so much when he was younger. He's been... I mean, actually, aren't they making another Home Alone? Well, we just talked about it in the last episode that that's what they're trying to do. They're trying and to. We, uh, we do were trying to alone. figure out if he's going to be a part of that or not. Well, I sure hope he is. He could be. I guess he could be the parent leaving his kid alone at home. You know what I think he should be? They should make him. They should make him one of the robbers. He like really his <laughs> life goes down the drain, and he's just like he's just a thief now, good for nothing, thief that just like go, goes and. He takes after these robbers because he actually really looked up to them. <laughs> <laughs> and so now he's taken on a life of, uh, you know, crime. Yeah, I think that would be that an would, interesting uh, twist. <laughs> that would, would be never a see the light of day. Yeah, I, I think it could work. I don't know. It's something to consider. But uh, Hey, stranger things have happened, you know. Yeah. Anyways, let's uh, continue on with planes, trains, and automobiles. It was shot mostly in New York. However, there was a scene that does take place in St. Louis that was filmed at the Lambert International Airport. Uh, it was filmed in 85 days, so about almost three months. Uh, rewrites uh, Hughes did during filming actually made the amount of footage he shot much larger than what the original screenplay needed. And the action of planes, trains, and automobiles occurs over the course of just three days. So according to... Uh, to uh, John Hughes, A Life in Film, that was written by Kirk Honeycutt. Three days is also how long it took writer-director John Hughes to pen the movie screenplay. And the film's editor, Paul Hirsch, actually claimed at a Hughes tribute event that Hughes did this, did 60 pages of the screenplay in six hours. And I just don't know how that's possible, but... Because I think of, like, back when we used to write research papers in college or just essays... And it was like a chore for like a few days to get eight pages pulled out of me. And uh, this I mean, guy's it would doing take me six, six hours to do like maybe one page. Oh yeah. <laughs> or yeah. get all the research together to between the research and getting together two pages worth of content. It would take a while for but me in college. You gotta, at least. you gotta think he must just be like shooting all these ideas, just like very, like, roughly just throwing it out there. And he's just going with it. It's like a brainstorming session as much as anything. I so mean, that yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, these ideas were just pouring out of him on the uh, screen when he was, you know, penning these. Or I don't know if he wrote on a paper or if he, I mean, imagine hand drawing 60 pages in six hours. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he, he used some kind of typewriter or some something that he... Uh, maybe I don't know if they had a lot of uh, computer technology. I guess in the late 80s they might have had a a keyboard i guess he was inspired to uh to make this film too after he had a layover that or he actually ended up being diverted when he was trying to go from new york to chicago and it got diverted to wichita kansas where it took him five days to get home 
So, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely drawing from his own inspiration there. Yeah, so he's kind of just recounting his experience, and that's you know that's what they tell you to do is write what you yeah. know. And it sounds like he knew very well all the different things that took hap- that had transpired. Yeah, and just put them on the on the uh, screen. So good on him. It's a, it's a pretty timeless movie. Although there are some things that are dated. I mean, uh, just imagine Kyle not having a GPS, having to use a payphone, not having a cell phone yeah. to call anybody. You have to, I mean, he can't even talk to his wife unless he talks on a payphone, which everybody is I trying know. to use. And, and she's just uh, like worried sick about him. Like it, there's like very little communication that's they're able to which it just would not exist in uh, today's world. Yeah, I mean, you can't even send your wife a text and say, oh, hey, honey, uh, flight delayed. (laughs) Yeah, be home, like, maybe tomorrow or whatever. But, yeah, you would know more about it now. It's just just crazy to think how far, and this has been, boy. uh, 30 30 years from when it? Yeah, I guess 33 years now. I mean, it's crazy how far everything has advanced in that amount of time. I mean, just think about what 30 years is going to look like from now going to be quite a bit different we're gonna be old uh, with this uh film you know surprisingly not that much as far as budget goes and 30 million dollars seems like kind of a lot but for this it's a it would be considered a small budget movie and a lot of that probably went to the performers i would think it doesn't look like there's a lot of you know computer graphics or a lot of no things but technically that they had to accomplish on screen there, or production there was design. Uh, there was like quite a bit of different on set locations it seems like throughout the movie i mean it yeah, seems that like probably it adds up because that's probably true because it probably adds up with all of the because yeah. they're trying to film everything in chicago but they had to well in new york on the outskirts was, yeah but uh, i mean yeah just a lot of different like setup scenes that maybe i don't know but yeah, Steve Martin yeah. and John Candy, those were two big names at that time. Yeah, that probably was the majority of the budget. And you also had the box office success of close to $50 million in the box office total. But this movie has been replayed, like I was saying, on the TV pretty much every year around this time for uh, who knows how many years now. I mean, it's been replaying for a long time. So I feel like it's, it's still being seen and still you know making money in that in that way uh, so but yeah and the 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 movie did open in american theaters on the 25th of november 1987 like i said and finished third for that weekend so it grossed 7 million after its first weekend and after 5 days the film grossed 10 million and stayed in the top for 7 weeks the movie finished its american run on january 22nd 1988 with around 50 million dollars after a 12 week run so that's not too bad and on a $30 million production budget, that's not great, really. I mean, you usually want two and a half times your production value. So, yeah. I mean. But I think, yeah, there's just more reverence to this film after the fact. Maybe it wasn't quite appreciated as much when it was released. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's even with some of the technology changes from what it was then, it still held up well. And kind of speaking on that, the movie, it was given some good recognition. It did receive critical acclaim upon its initial release. It currently has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 56 reviews. 
And it's featured in Roger Ebert's Great Movies collection. And Ebert actually wrote that the film is perfectly cast and sally constructed and all else flows naturally. Steve Martin and John Candy don't play characters, they embody themselves. That's why the comedy, which begins securely planted in the twin genres of the road movie and the buddy picture, is able to reveal so much heart and truth. Pretty well man, said. I got I to gotta tip my cap to uh, my main man, Ebert. He got it just right there, I feel like. He said it perfectly. Um, I mean, this is one of the great American comedies, and these well, two performers are at the top of their powers in, and, uh, in this film. A fun fact for you, this is actually, this was considered John Candy and Steve Martin's favorite film uh, of their own. So both of them seem to love making this film. Apparently they both had great chemistry on and off the set. Um, so yeah, it's, they uh, definitely enjoyed this picture. Well, yeah, and then when you look at two, Kyle, I don't know if you knew this, but they had John Candy was... You know, he wrote about 145 pages of the script, but they he was letting them kind of free flow and do a lot of improv. So they had over four and a half hours worth of footage mm. that they, of course, whittled down and whittled down to three and a half hours. And so they had that cut of the film, which they showed to Chris Columbus, the director of Home Alone. He's probably the only person that has seen that. And then they had to knock it down to 90 minutes. But that would be so they stressful. They probably had so much fun. Yeah, making this movie and they had so I feel much like footage. It, I feel like it'd be heartbreaking, almost like you're having to get rid of some parts that you would have just loved to have in that movie, or that you know. And you had to cut it from how much four and a half hours to ninety minutes. That's just, I mean, that's like three hours of time that you're cutting out right there. Yeah, I mean, almost unfortunate in a way, but yeah, I mean, obviously you can't have a movie that long. I mean, can you imagine this being three and a half hours? I, I mean, there's a point where you just can't keep focus with the comedy for that long. Like, yeah, you would just get it would just get tiresome. So I understand they have to whittle it down, but I would like to see that three and a half hour cut. That would be quite something. One of the scenes that I do want to bring up is the marathon car rental scene is exactly one minute long from the time Steve Martin starts his tirade to the time the attendant ends the scene. And in that 60 seconds, the F word is used 18 times. So the film would have easily been rated PG or PG-13 by the MPAA if it weren't for that one scene. Because I'm not oh, sure man. if there were any other F words used throughout the film. Yeah, I, I guess I lost count of how many F-bombs there were. Yeah. Because, I mean, my word, I was just watching it, uh, you know, last night with, my wife and she was working on something on on her screen and all of a sudden he's just spewing <laughs> his bombs left and right well, for an entire well, minute and she just was like her i mean she was shocked did she, at what did we she like it did she laugh or was she just like shocked she took i mean she got her her eyes were off her screen and she was watching <laughs> the tv and she's like hey, what it, is going on this hey, poor lady is getting berated at the behind the counter it gets and, people's attention man and that's actually I mean, what it does. What's funny is actually that's how Steve Martin was convinced to join the production was because of that scene that he had read from the script and the uh, seat adjustment scene in the car. Those were the two scenes that he loved the most. And actually, yeah, the that car rental scene, the F word tirade is probably my favorite scene throughout the film, maybe next to uh, one of the final scenes of the film. 
But, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, he totally, it's totally sold well because, and it totally makes sense because you have this guy who up. has been, it, it all adds up to that one climactic moment where he has just completely fed up with everything <laughs> that he has gone through. And it yeah. totally is believable. I mean, yeah. and it it's just perfectly done there. And I love and, the way the flight atten- or the attendant uh, ends the scene. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh boy, you're effed. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's, that's how just it ends. Perfect way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting, Kyle, because this movie has a connection to Airplane, the 1980 classic, where the exterior of the aircraft in flight is a reuse of the 707 flying through the storm from the movie Airplane. So it's got an interesting connection there, which I didn't realize when I was watching it, but that's kind of funny. Fun little fact. So, Zach, what did we think of the movie? Oh, man, let's get into the review of the movies. First off, we'll, we'll not, we're not going to talk about the spoilers. We're not going to spoil the ending for you if you haven't seen it. We're just going to give our overall take of the movie and just kind of briefly touch on what we appreciated at the end. But, uh, I mean, overall, this is I mean, this is one of the, the better comedies that I think I've ever seen just because of the talents on display. You have John Hughes writing out of his mind for this movie. You have Steve Martin and John Candy at the height of their powers. Uh, you know, John Candy's playing Dell in his performance as this mild-mannered, overly helpful, cheery individual with, like, little to no self-awareness. But <laughs> it's totally accurate being... to who he is. Like, it, it seems <laughs> yeah. like, the, like he plays it so well. It's just him, basically. Yeah, and he's very personable. He's outgoing. He loves his wife and his family, and he... he He's just, but he's also so high maintenance and he's got right. a lot of quirks and that just rubs Steve Martin's <laughs> character the wrong way because he is completely, you know, mostly kind of closed off. He's kind of snooty. He's more in the upper class and he looks down upon Dell because he just, I mean, he has pity for this poor guy and he's yeah. trying to be nice and do the right thing. And you, you think you would get rewarded by doing the right thing, but <laughs> Yeah. Time and time again, he just doesn't. He just That's why I think I like him. it so much. Is because yeah. he's trying to do the right thing for this poor guy, and he has pity on him, but it just doesn't work out, and and it goes above and beyond awful for him throughout this whole time period. But he ends up learning to to accept Dell and to kind of bond with him. I mean, they were there's a lot of bonding moments between them. I mean, you have that you have a scene where they are in the you know, have to stay in a motel together in the same bed, and they're the <laughs> they wake up the next morning, <laughs> and he's holding on to him. Yeah, and... no, that's uh, you know, yeah, you were talking about it. Though. There's a lot of bonding scenes throughout. Uh, it doesn't make it. You would think it would sound cheesy, but uh, I didn't feel like it was ever over the top or cheesy throughout this film. Like I thought they played it off pretty well, and it was. Uh, I think it's because it's more genuine that it makes it. Uh, is appealing and less cheesy. Yeah, and I mean, this movie is just so simple in its construction, and that's what has got me so interested in it as well and impressed by it. It's just a simple tale about a middle-aged man who's trying to come home to see his family for Thanksgiving, but, you know, nothing 
is going as planned and <clears throat> a lot of different things get in his way. I mean, just it's, to name a few. It's kind of like Home Alone for, uh, for uh, you know, adults. Oh, yeah, basically, kind of Home Alone for adults. I guess that's a good way to put it. I mean, you have his plane not working out, then you have... Then he has to go on the car. Then he has to go on train. And yeah. John Hughes just keeps coming up with so many obstacles to come into Steve Martin's way. I mean, like I said, the plane delays, the junky hotels, and there's no towels in the hotels for him. There's, yeah. And then, of course, Dell is irritating to irritating him to no end. And well, he, they, it, they get... it, doesn't it seem like it would almost be more difficult to come up with these obstacles throughout um, rather than like the obstacles in home alone, just because it's more like you're in one spot and you know, you had come up with these ideas that will occur. Like, but for this, it's like adults. So you have to make it more believable to an extent. And it's just someone trying to get home. And it just seems like, yeah, it would be a little more difficult to come up with these obstacles, but I thought uh, they did a good job with that. Yeah, I mean, in Home Alone, you also have you have an added layer of trying to write what a how old was he? Seven, five, six, seven? Uh, I think he's more like eight. I mean, nine. you're trying to write for a seven or eight year old as a as a thirty year old man. Yeah, and you're trying to just think of all these things that he could do to to harm these robbers that are these intruders that are trying to come yeah. into there and rob the house. But yeah, just house uh, traps. Uh, yeah. I'm just uh, very impressed by the amount of creativity, you know, that he that he used in this screenplay and in this movie to kind of get to put things in their way to get home. And you feel their pain. You kind of you just definitely feel how tired they are. Yeah. And I mean, it's been you can even see that as the two days go on, Steve Martin's not even clean shaven anymore. He looks raggedy. Yeah. He's got all of his, uh, what do you call it, peach fuzz, I guess. Not peach fuzz, but yeah. his uh, scruff, I guess you could say. And he just looks so overly tired and worn down by this trip. <laughs> and it, it all comes together at the end, which it wasn't the original ending, but I'm really glad that, that they chose to do this ending. It, it worked out for the better, I think. Yeah, but it's something that's so relatable too with uh, Steve Martin's character because you can feel his pain from kind of the beginning where he's in that meeting and this this boss cannot make a decision on like what he's going to pick. And so he's just like, <laughs> he's just waiting in anticipation, just wanting to get out of there, get done and go home. And uh, I think we've all had that experience in our lives at some point where we have this kind of delayed uh, anticipation that we just have to it's like kind of like a kid on christmas day just wants to like open the presents but has to wait you know it's kind of something like that a little bit so it's definitely relatable yeah and that's why i think it'll just be a timeless movie that people watch every year around thanksgiving or christmas time i feel like it could work in both holidays you know before christmas or before thanksgiving right and it's got to be one of the better thanksgiving movies uh, ever made I I would say so. I mean, it's just it's a classic, and it it hasn't let up yet. Um, if there is one thing I wanted to pick about it, maybe I didn't love the music. It was kind of an eclectic mix. It seems like kind of odd. 
but uh, it is a kind of a very 80s uh themed yeah. music yeah just very kind of very set in that time and uh maybe that hasn't aged as well but uh you know i think this movie to me still goes down it's, it'll go down as like one of my favorite movie endings of all time and i think it's just uh it's something that's like it actually gets to me a little bit every time i watch it it's like a little bit emotional for me because yeah, uh, we won't it spoil like 70, it you've yeah. seen it like 70 times yeah and i know what i'm gonna expect but man for some reason it just it hits home it just uh you see like the genuine bond between them and you kind of learn of one other the other one's misfortunes and uh then yeah just it kind of really brings that thanksgiving vibe brings it to the forefront i guess yeah so. i mean because uh dell you know he's he works on the on the road a lot and neil is you know avoid not, i don't know if he's avoiding home but his work is definitely coming before his home and his family right and so in the end neil realizes that home is more important it's one of the most important things yeah and because... you're just wanting to get there you're wanting it's that journey to get back home and it's just like waiting in anticipation but yeah yeah and dell kind of finds what he has been searching for Mm-hmm. in a way at the end i won't without going into too many spoilers he gets what he he's always wanted in a way and i feel like it's just so powerful at the end and they give such good performances that it, it really really works for me yeah and so, it's not I mean, cheesy like i said i know i've said it but it, it it works like it just i think it's genuine chemistry there and i think that's what gives it its value and its meaning and kind of hits home for everyone so right and uh if you had to give it a rating on uh you know zero to ten what would you say i think i would give this one an 8.5 out of 10 so yeah it's all the reasons i said i it's just something you have to rewatch. you know maybe around thanksgiving time don't love the music, but everything else is so well done that it just isn't, it's not really that big of a deal. So, yeah, I mean, there's some little gripes that you, I guess you could make with, with the movie. But for me, I feel like it, it's, it's just as perfect as you could probably get with a, a tight movie like this. I mean, it's yeah. a little under 90 minutes. And well, and it's, it, it's something Roger Ebert had mentioned how it just flows naturally throughout. And it's all in 90 minutes. That's what's so impressive about it. I think the editing is kind of an underrated part of this film. Yeah, considering they had over four and a half hours of footage. I mean, you really have to make all these story beats work and keep everything cohesive. And they did an incredible job. So, I mean, I would give this a 9 out of 10. Really enjoy it. Really highly recommend people watch it if you haven't seen it already. I mean, obviously, if if the cussing is is bothersome to you, you can skip that one scene. There's, yeah, it's just one scene really where it just is like over the top. But everything, otherwise, it would have been PG, PG thirteen. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, all the other stuff is pretty tame compared to that that one scene. And uh, but yeah, it's one that I'll probably watch every holiday season. It's a good way to start the holiday season right before Thanksgiving and then get into your Christmas viewing in preparation for Christmas coming up soon. So that's why it was uh, one of our 
movies that we wanted to review. And it's and a standalone you. movie, so it's yes, we're not it's, really. It's one of our standalone review. Yeah, standalone Thanksgiving special, uh, right around Thanksgiving time. This will probably come out Thanksgiving Day, so you guys can listen to this. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking about this movie. I hope you guys can maybe listen to this and check this movie out if you haven't seen it. And uh, be sure to check out next week's episode as we're going to review a new film that came out this year in 2020. Obviously, there's not a whole lot of new releases in 2020, but next week we were, are going to look at a film that came out earlier this year and look forward to seeing that. We will list it on Twitter, what we're going to review next week. Thank you all for listening in. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Classically Current. If you like this, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you will never miss a show. And if you found value in our show, we'd love it if you gave us a review so we can continue to grow and reach more enthusiastic movie fans in the future. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to check out our Twitter account, Classically Current, to receive film and entertainment news as well as updates on our show. Thanks again for joining us. Stay classy. And stay current.